Hey, how awesome was that video? Super encouraging. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's so good to be with all of you today. And kind of before we jump into what we're going to be talking about today, I've got an extra special, super awesome announcement. Are you, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Good. All right. Put that picture up. Do you know where that is right now? Yeah. I haven't even said anything yet. Harvest Fremont. They're launching today. They've had almost 500 people there this morning. They just wrapped up their service. How cool is that? Praise God. So excited for Pastor Eric and his whole team to see God at work there up at Fremont. I encourage you guys over the next couple weekends to make your way out there to encourage them to go check things out and see how God is at work there at Harvest Fremont. Well, let's get started. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out right now. If not, we've got some ushers coming down the aisles. They would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand. If you need one, just go ahead and raise your hand, and they will get one to you. Once you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning, John chapter 1. And I know Marty already mentioned it uh, earlier today, but isn't this uh, winter wonderland that we've walked into so awesome? Isn't it so cool? I'm so grateful for all the volunteers that, that came out here and at Grand Haven to, to, to transform this place from top to bottom. You know, out of all the things uh, in the world, one of the things I, I like the least is decorating. So we are, I, am, I am so grateful for you. You have a very special place in my heart. But even though I don't like decorating for Christmas and things like this, uh, mainly because I'm terrible at it, um, but, but I love Christmas. I think I love Christmas more than Buddy the Elf. I love Christmas. And listen, we love Christmas here at Harvest. We love Christmas. In fact, we love Christmas so much here at Harvest that we're going to celebrate it for an entire month. Okay, but, but, but listen, we don't celebrate Christmas because of the, the, the warm, fuzzy feeling we have when the lights are up or the decorations are uh, in place or the memories we make with friends and family members and people in our church. We we are so excited about celebrating Christmas for the entire month of December because, because we are celebrating the arrival of the most important person. And I'm not talking about Pastor Craig Gurr. Um, I'm talking about the most important person in all of human history, uh, Jesus Christ. We celebrate, amen, we celebrate Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the fact that, that, that he came and fulfilled every promise that God made to us, every promise concerning hope, every promise concerning love and, and peace and joy. And today we are going to look at how this Jesus, how he is our hope. He is hope itself fulfilled. The um, Oxford English Dictionary defines hope like this. It says that hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. And typically when we use this word hope, uh, we use it with this sense of um, uh, expectancy, but also uncertainty when we use hope. Like, like, I hope, I really hope that I'm going to see the sun tomorrow. Probably not going to happen, but I hope that the weather is better tomorrow. Or I hope that next year, I hope that next year is better than this year. This year has been hard. It's been difficult. I hope the next year is better, or, or maybe most futile of all, I hope, I hope that Michigan will beat Ohio State. <laughs> Is that too soon for some of you? I saw like a tear roll down some of your faces, just a solitary tear. Um, listen, that's worldly hope. 
And worldly hope carries with it this sense of uncertainty, but it's, but it's different than when the Bible talks about hope. When the Bible presents hope, it presents it as a living hope. And the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Biblical hope, unlike worldly hope, is a confident expectation. It's not just wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation of better things ahead. Hope. Hope is the forward-facing aspect of our faith. In fact, I would say that hope is a necessary component of our faith. That any time that the Word of God and the God of that Word refers to something happening in the future and we put our faith in that thing, we can confidently call that hope. Now listen, I think we can say these things about hope and and you can listen to me right now and you can nod your heads in agreement and believe that yes, that's what biblical hope is and biblical hope is living hope and it's different than worldly hope. But but listen, we, we can gather together on a Sunday morning and hear those nice truths and walk out of this place completely and totally unchanged. But this idea of biblical hope should come crashing into our lives and transform the very way we live day to day. How, how does this living hope do that for us? Well, I think we need to start by coming to terms with our disappointments. Looking back on 2018, where have you been disappointed? Where have you been let down? Where have expectations not been met for you? Maybe it's been in your marriage or with a parent or with your child or in your job. Where have you been disappointed. Maybe, maybe you were hoping that this Christmas season was going to be unlike any Christmas before. Maybe you had hoped that it would be full of fun and friends and family and food and presents and parties, but, but 2018 has not gone the way you had hoped it would, and, and money is tight, and you're barely able to make ends meet, and this Christmas is going to be unlike other Christmases, but not in the way that you had hoped. Or maybe you had hoped that this Christmas was going to be a fun time gathering together with family members or a parent or a spouse or a kid, but, but due to some unforeseen diagnosis, a, a terminal illness, this might be your last Christmas with that person. Maybe, maybe last Christmas was the last Christmas with a, a loved one. And due to an unforeseen circumstance, you lost that loved one, and this is the first of many, and and you're entering into this Christmas season not with the sense of expectation, not with the sense of excitement, not with this sense of hope, but these disappointments keep piling on. And listen, if we set and fix our eyes on the disappointments of life, it will eventually lead us to a place of despair. That's where we'll end up. And despair is the opposite of hope. Despair is the absence and loss of all hope. In fact, on our blog this past Friday, I'd encourage you to go check this out. We posted on hope, and there was this really good line in it, and it said this. It said, the road to despair is paved with crushed hopes. God's Word says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced that before? Crushed hopes, disappointments, expectations not met, and I'm living in that, and I've got these disappointments, and I'm in this place of despair. Listen, our hope as human beings is only as good as the object that we place it in. And here's our big idea this morning. 
Where you place your hope makes all the difference. Where you place your hope, it makes all the difference. Because if we continue to place our hope in the things of this world, we are going to be sorely disappointed and be led to a place of despair and depression. Where you place your hope makes all the difference. And we're going to see that there's only one person worth placing our hope in. And we see this in John 1. Look there with me now. John 1, verse 1. John starts by writing this. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, the word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything, that was, anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And one thing we should note as we start looking into this Gospel of John is he starts differently than other Gospels typically do, like Matthew and Luke. And Matthew and Luke, when they start their Gospels, they start by giving us a detailed account about the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and they tell us what happened when Jesus entered into this world. But John is different. And nowhere in the Gospel of John do we see him tell us a detailed account of how Jesus Christ was born because he's doing something different here. Instead of telling us what happened when Jesus entered into this world, John explains why it happened. That's what he's getting at in his gospel. Why did Jesus enter this world? Why? Well, he starts by writing those three words, in the beginning. Look there, verse 1, in the beginning. And what is he referring to here when John says, in the beginning? He's, he's, he's meaning to call in the mind of the reader uh, a passage in the Old Testament. Can any of you think of which one he might be referring to? Genesis, that's right. Genesis 1.1, where the writer of Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why does John do that? Why is John drawing this parallel? Well, what John is doing right now is he is he's placing the existence of Jesus Christ at the very beginning, before the beginning of time, in eternity past, with God the Father. Jesus has existed since eternity past. And he keeps going. Another important thing to notice here is how John refers to Jesus. What does John call Jesus in these first few verses? Look at verse 1 again. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does John call Jesus? The Word. The word that John uses to call Jesus is the word. And why does John call Jesus the word? Well, the Greek word for the word is this word called logos. Logos. And that's where we get our English word logic. And what John is trying to show us, show his readers here, is that Jesus, without Jesus, nothing makes sense. That he is the key to understanding all of life. And we know that John is referring to Jesus here when he says the word, because if you jump down to verse 14, he says this. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is Jesus Christ entering into time. The word became flesh, dwelling among us. And we also see that this Jesus, he's not just with God. John also writes that this Jesus, he is God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, the Son of God, existed from all eternity past with God the Father and God the Spirit, existing as the triune God. We, we call this the Trinity. Now stay with me here. Existing as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, they existed from all eternity past 
in loving relationship with one another. And so when God the Father spoke into existence creation and created man and woman, he created them to exist in a perfect loving relationship with himself and with one another. And so the question that we face now with John 1 is why did the word become flesh? Why do we have Christmas time? Why did Jesus become a baby? Here's why. The word became flesh for relationship. Jesus entered into this world. The light entered into darkness for relationship, but for a different reason. The light entered darkness. How did we get into darkness? What does it mean to be in darkness? What's our first point this morning? Darkness shows our need for hope. Darkness is our need for hope. And Jesus is the light of the world, but we can't appreciate the light until we really understand the darkness. And throughout Scripture, if we live outside of a relationship with God, we are described as living in darkness. When we live outside of a, relation, a relationship with God, God's word says that we are citizens, that we are members of a kingdom of darkness. When we live outside of a relationship of, of, of God, with God, we live in darkness and we love, our natural state is we love darkness more than light. And I find this kind of confusing because my kids hate the darkness. As kids are terrified of darkness usually. They want to light on the closet light, a night light. But, but, but we as human beings, we love the darkness. Why do we love the darkness? Well, I think a couple reasons why we love the darkness. One reason we love the darkness is because we can hide in the darkness. We can hide from ourselves. We can hide from others. And we, we think we can hide from God in the darkness. And another reason I, I think we love the darkness, our natural selves love the darkness more than the light, is because, because we don't have to deal with reality. If we keep things hidden from other people in the darkness, we don't have to deal with reality. We can keep living the lies that we have constructed and say, this is okay. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to live in the darkness and do what I want and not be confronted with reality and with truth and live a lie. That's why we love living in the darkness. It's easier, but it always leads to destruction. It always leads to despair. And the question that we still haven't answered yet is how did we get here? How did we end up as a people in darkness? And I think in order to answer that, we need to go all the way back to the almost beginning to Genesis 3. So if you have your Bibles open, keep one finger in John 1, and let's go to Genesis 3. Let's flip all the way back to Genesis 3. And we're going to start um, right in verse 1 and see how we ended up here in darkness, why we are in darkness. Verse 1, we've got the serpent, we're in the garden with, with the man and the woman, with Adam and Eve, and the serpent, he says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we we can't miss what's happening here. We've got this serpent, and, and what is this serpent doing? What does this serpent introduce into the world? Do you know? This serpent introduces hope. 
Well, what kind of hope? What kind of hope is the serpent introducing? Because think about it for a second. Here we've got man and woman, and they're living in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with one another. What need would they have for hope? What, what need would they have for a confident expectation of better things ahead when everything's already perfect? Well, look at verse 6. I know many of us know how this resolves, but follow along with me. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Listen, the the, the taking the bite of the piece of fruit was not the primary offense against God. The, the, The offense, the sin, was far deeper and far greater Man and woman, they turned away from God and they stopped taking him at his word and instead chose to believe the lie that the serpent gave them. They believed a false hope. That's the kind of hope that the serpent offered, that the serpent introduced to man and woman. It was a false hope. And the moment they believed that false hope, they entered into darkness and they cast all of humanity into chaos and into darkness and it's what we're born into. It's where we find ourselves born into darkness and every time we believe a false hope, every time we embrace a lie, we cast ourselves further into this darkness and we are enslaved by it and we are trapped by it and we are darkened. We believe lies in the darkness and we say things in the darkness and here's some things that we say in the darkness. Here's one thing. I don't believe in the light I don't believe in the lights. In essence, what you would say is, hey, there's no God. This darkness that I see around me, the emptiness that I see around me, it's it's all there is. That if I can't taste it, touch it, see it, smell it, or feel it, it's not real. And anyone who believes in a God is a fool. Maybe you're not quite that courageous enough to go that far, but you're like, "I, I, I can't tell, I don't know for sure. He hasn't made himself obvious to me. And and it's clear that that God, if there is a God, he isn't involved in this world at all. And he certainly isn't worthy of any of my worship. And and this viewpoint that the person that would say, I don't believe in the light, that there is no God. You don't believe in an afterlife. You don't believe that morality, that that there's a right and a wrong. Morality is completely relative. You don't believe that we are designed for a specific end. We are just here by pure chance. And the only meaning that we have in life is that which we create for ourselves and You would think that anyone who would actually believe in a God and and dedicate their lives to him and surrender their lives to him, that they're foolish, that they're stupid, that they need a crutch to get through the emptiness and darkness of life. But listen, God's word speaks to this. God's word says this in Romans 1. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So in essence, they said, There is no light. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And listen, even if we say, hey, there is no God, I don't believe in the light, we are without excuse. We know deep down in our hearts, there is a God. There's a reason why we are here. Someone created me. Someone designed this. And how often are the individuals who would say there is no God, the ones who say, I'm casting off the shackles of religion and the superstition that comes along with it, and I'm moving forward, I'm a better thinker. But what God would say about your thinking is that it's become futile, 
And what that means is that you're not making progress in your thinking. You're just simply go, like spinning in circles. You're grasping at straws. And God says that your heart is foolishness. God's word says that only the fool says there is no God. And if I could describe this point of view with one word, I'd describe it like this, hopeless. You're, you're hopeless. And you might present some strength and confidence, but deep down in your heart, there is an emptiness. And just like all of us who would say, I believe in a God, there is a longing for that. And you're trying to fill it with other things. And all you have is the darkness and it is leading you to a road to despair because you are without hope. Another thing we might say in the darkness is this, I embrace the darkness. I embrace the darkness. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19 says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here's a really interesting thing to think about in light of this verse. Um, you know, if you were to lose your sight today, if you were to go completely and totally blind, your other senses would be extremely amplified and elevated over time, and you'd be able to hear better. You would also be able to touch. Your sense of touch would be uh, amplified. And in the same way, when you when we're spiritually blind, when we're spiritually in darkness, we are preoccupied with the physical. We are fixated on what's tangible. We embrace the darkness. We're lost in the darkness and we give ourselves up to it. It's all there is and so we choose to embrace it. And I think this is really the, the spirit of our age right now. We, we give ourselves over to pleasure and everything's about my experience and am I enjoying this and, and is this bringing me joy and pleasure? Even sitting here in church right now, am I pleased by this? Is this making me happy? And if not, when can I finally get out of here? I think many of us struggle with this. This desire for pleasure. And you don't have to be a hedonistic party animal for this to be you. In fact, I would say that most of us would never say the exact words, I embrace the darkness. <laughs> I think if you were to say that to your friend, your friend would be like, bro, you need to get help. <laughs> but think about it. If you're a parent, if you're a parent and you've had a long day at work or you've had a, 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 a hard day with the kids and you're finally getting them down to bed and and you're sitting on your couch and you're finally relaxing and you turn on a show on Netflix and you're like, oh yes, finally. And your kids just keep getting out of bed and they won't go to sleep. And you lose your cool and you're like, don't you understand this is my time? Do you know where I got that example from? My own life. My own life. And listen, what I'm, what I'm saying here is maybe you don't bear hug the darkness, but this is what I mean by this. If I were to describe this view in, in, in just, with just two simple words, I would say this. This is misplaced hope. This is misplaced hope. And at any time, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we place our hope in something other than Jesus to find our satisfaction, to find our joy, to, to find our completion as a human being. We're misplacing our hope, and, and we are, in essence, beginning to embrace the darkness. Maybe you're sick of the darkness, and maybe you would say something like this. I can escape the darkness. I can escape the darkness. Is that you this morning? I'm working hard. I'm getting rid of it. I'm escaping the darkness. I'm doing this. Listen, if we think that we can escape the darkness in our own power, we severely underestimate 
the power that the darkness has over us and the very fact that we as human beings are darkened in our hearts and in our minds and in our understanding. We are trapped by darkness. Romans 1 and Ephesians 4 make that explicitly clear that no amount of work or effort or being good or following the rules on your part will ever afford you the opportunity to escape the darkness. And if I could describe this point of view with just two words, I would say this. It is religious hope. It is religious hope and it is another false hope. And it doesn't matter if you come here to harvest or you're a Baptist or you're a Buddhist or you're a Mormon or you're a Muslim you think that following the rules and being a good person will afford you the opportunity to escape the darkness, I hate to disappoint you, but that is a false hope. It is religious hope. And Jesus, he points this out in John 5. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He says this, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. And at this point, you think he's going to talk about Satan or the enemy accuses you. But no, Jesus says this. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, this is who's going to accuse you. Moses, on whom you've set your hope. Jesus is really pushing some buttons here, and he's saying, listen, you've placed all your hope in Moses, in the law that God gave Moses, in obeying the law, and being a religious person, and being a good person, and coming to church on Sunday every weekend, and worshiping him, and singing loud, and raising your hands, and being part of a small group, and being a kind person, and what Jesus would say to you is if you've put your hope in those things to, to, to afford you the opportunity to escape from the darkness, then you've placed your hope in a false hope and you are going to be very disappointed. You are going to find yourself in a place of despair. Religious hope is a false hope and it leads to despair. The law of God cannot save us. The law of God simply points out that not a single one of us will ever be good enough. The law of God shows us that each and every one of us need a Savior. In Titus 3.5, it says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. We are, we are saved not by our own works, but by the mercy of God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are trapped in darkness, and we need hope in Jesus Christ. The reason why we gather together, the reason why we celebrate this Christmas season, he is our only source of hope. Jesus is our source of hope. That's the second thing I want us to see. Jesus is our source of hope. Look back to John. Look at verse four. John writes, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and this is a statement of hope. Jesus is the light. He is our life. He is our source of hope. Look at verse 6. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is a different John. This is John the Baptist. In verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And he, John the Baptist, was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. What do you think John's favorite word is? The light. The light, the light, the light. And John, he pounds this theme throughout his gospel. And, and Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In 12, 46, he says this. He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And it's not just Jesus 
who attest to him being the light of the world, our only source of hope. Paul, he writes in Colossians, he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Peter, he echoes the same idea. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus is our source of hope. He is the light of the world. And it's not just the New Testament writers that explain this idea and unpack this idea and testify to this idea. The the, the prophets, hundreds of years before the Word became flesh, they proclaimed this idea of of a coming light, of a Savior, of a hope unlike any other. And our worship team, they they read this over us in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Many of us are familiar with this verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is Jesus. And just a few verses before it, Isaiah, he says this, that the people, we, walked in darkness. And we have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And this light is Jesus Christ. And it's not a coincidence that throughout all of Scripture that the writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to testify to this idea that the light of the world was coming and has come in Jesus Christ. That throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, verse by verse, every writer, every prophet, every apostle, Jesus Christ himself came to testify that the hope that each and every one of us are looking for is found in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And no job will ever be able to satisfy you. No relationship will ever be able to fulfill you. No experience will ever be able to excite you the way that Jesus Christ can. And I can say that with confidence this morning because God's word attests to this truth and I have experienced it in my life and I know that many of you can say the same. But the last question that we face here this morning people trapped in darkness, people battling darkness, knowing that Jesus is our only hope. How do we access that hope? How do we access the hope found in Jesus Christ? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10, John writes this. He says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we receive Jesus Christ. We believe in his name. And the only way we can access this hope is by faith. Faith is our access to this hope. Faith gives us access to the only hope that isn't wishful thinking. And verse 13 shows us clearly how how we cannot get this hope. We, We can't get this hope by working hard at it. We've already debunked that lie. We can't get this hope uh, from others. Others can't want this for us. We, We can't get this hope by being born into the right family. It's only by faith. 
Faith is our access to hope. But faith in what, though? Faith in what? Faith in God? Just generally speaking, can we just be good people and place our faith in God and have access to this hope? No. That's not enough. Faith in the Bible? No. Faith in this church or the pastors? No. Heck no. If we want access to this hope that is found in Jesus Christ, we must look backward and place our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Thessalonians, Paul writes, and he clarifies this idea. And he writes, he says this, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And when he talks about these people being asleep, he doesn't mean that they're sleeping, really. He's, they're dead. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And what Paul is doing here is he's splitting all of humanity up into two groups. There are those who don't have hope, and there are those who do have hope. What's the difference? What separates them? Are the people that go to church? Are the people who are kind people, who are nice people? Are those the people that have hope? Or the people who go to small group? No. Paul says this. He answers this question in verse 14. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. The difference is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have access to this hope have forsaked their ability to escape the darkness. And they have instead turned to the one, the only person in all of human history who lived the life that not a single one of us in this room could ever live. Perfectly obeying that law of Moses. He's the only righteous person, the only perfect person, the only person who didn't deserve to be punished. But he received our punishment for us. The wrath of God was poured out on him in our place. And he suffered and died a sinner's death. Why did he do this? Why did the word become flesh? Because he wanted relationship with you. He wanted to restore what was lost to the darkness. He wanted to bring you back into the light. He came on a rescue mission for you. This Jesus, the Word made flesh. And the only way we access this hope found in Jesus is through faith. And this Jesus, He's coming again one day. And He's going to restore all of creation to Himself. He's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. We have confident expectation that this is not the end. That this is not it. That this is not all we have. That, that, that while we might journey through this present time, this darkness, we look forward to a time where the light of the world will shine brightly in our time and Jesus Christ will reign victoriously. Do you believe that? Do you live with that confident expectation of hope? I know that for many of you, you've you never placed your faith in this Jesus Christ. In a room this big with this many people, I know that some of you would say, no, I don't believe there's a light. And someone dragged you here, a parent, a friend, a spouse, and, and you've sat here this whole time begrudgingly listening to what I have to say. And I pray that God's Spirit would move in your heart right now, that you would turn to Him. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe you've been going to church for years, for decades, and you're finally now realizing, it's dawning on you that you've never surrendered your life to Christ, and, and you've relied upon your work this entire time. I, I thought I'd been a good person for years, and, and that's why Jesus would embrace me in relationship again. No, that, that's not it. You've got to place your faith in him. Just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of just st- standing down here, and, and a young man came up to me, and he's like, I think I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus Christ. And my heart started beating like 100 miles per hour. I was so excited. So we prayed together, and, 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 he, and he put his faith in Jesus. And, and he was kind of shaken, and I was kind of shaken because we were so excited. And we stopped praying and we said amen, and he, he looked at me, and he's like, I feel so alive right now. And I'm like, that's because you've never been more alive than you are right now. God has transferred you from death to life. He's transferred you from a, a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of, of light. And you now have hope. You have joy, you have peace, you have love in Jesus Christ. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, don't put off until tomorrow what God would have you do today. Turn to him. And listen, I know that many of you have been confronted with this message of the gospel and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but do you understand that the decision to surrender your life over to Jesus Christ is not a one-time thing, but it is a daily decision. It is a daily decision to to turn away from yourself, to die to yourself, and to pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Do you know that? It's so easy, especially this time of year, to lose focus and set our hope on the things of this world. Would we be reminded in this moment as we head into this Christmas season that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the one who is worthy of all of our hope. He is our source of hope. He is the light of the world. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's bow our heads. And Father God, we we are so grateful for your kindness to us. That while we were lost in darkness, Lord, you saw fit to send your son, your one and only son, to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we deserved. We thank you that you, through your power, he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death, Lord, so that we could live as children of God if we place our faith in him. And so, Lord, I would pray that if there are individuals in this room who have not placed their faith in you, God, Lord, that they would have the courage to do that today they would confess their sin, that they would turn away, they would place their faith in you, they would confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts, Lord, that you, Jesus, are Lord of all, light of the world, the source of our hope. Lord, I pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, but God, would you forgive us for placing our hope in the wrong things, misplacing our hope in false hopes. Or will we just take this word as a reminder that our only source of hope is in you, Jesus? Or that your kindness and your mercy reached out and saved us, not our own works. And that you love us as we are. Would we be reminded of the goodness of your gospel? That even though we are imperfect, even though we will never be able to measure up, Jesus, you measured up for us and you love us just the same. Would we be reminded that this, me- this message of hope is to be treasured and it is to be shared with others? 
that this Christmas season that we would reach out to those we love the most and share with them the reason why we do have hope. Because it's you, Jesus, and you alone. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.